Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon, and uh, we have this week Chris Harrison from Bachelor fame, but also a huge, huge golf fan, a huge golfer, and uh, we had a great conversation. We talked a little bit about The Bachelor and all the sports parallels that go along with what he does and being a part of Tiger Jam and just getting into the game and, and kind of his journey through broadcasting and sports into where he is now. And uh, I'm a Bachelor watcher. I watch The Bachelor every single week with my wife. We wait till 7.30. That's the rule because you get 30 minutes of DVR fast-forwarding and then we watch The Bachelor. And that's what we do. And I think it's my favorite show I watch every week. And I am a guy that isn't scared to admit that. So I loved having Chris on. Hope you guys enjoy that. The season is rolling and uh, it's uh, it's an exciting time as everything kind of comes to continental U.S. after Hawaii, I've got some exciting news in February that I can't share with you yet, but I'm going to share with you at some point. It involves media. It involves myself. It involves possibly somebody from the PGA Tour. And so keep your eyes out. Uh, follow on Twitter at Shane Bacon, on Instagram at Shane Bacon. Just follow along, and the news will come out here in the next few weeks, and I think it'll be something you'll be excited about and interested in. But other than that, I don't have a lot. The The conversation with Chris was somewhere in the 40-minute range, so I don't want to take too much of your time on the front end of that and want to get right to it. Hope you guys are having a great new year, a great 2020. We've already had a couple of unbelievable tournaments in our books this season alone, this year alone, and, uh, and on we roll into the Desert Classic and beyond. So hope you guys get out and play a little bit of golf if you're not in a cold-weather place, and let's get to our guest. And we welcome into the clubhouse for the first time, Chris Harrison. You know Chris, host of The Bachelor. He does so many things. Uh, this is the, the 24th season of The Bachelor. Is that right? 18 years, 24 seasons of Bachelor. I think 15 Bachelorettes. We've done Bachelor in Paradise and Bachelor Pad. So, yeah, there's a lot of them over 18 years. And uh, as we're just getting into a new season, what's uh, what's the last couple of weeks been like? Not very stressful for you? Pretty A lot of downtime? You know what's funny is <laughs> I'm not shooting, so it's actually not stressful as far as production because we actually wrap things up. But you know what's funny is even after 18 years, what's stressful for me is it's still having to take the field and see if you're winning. And, and you know... <laughs> After all these years, it's still not promised to you that people are actually going to watch. You think, you know, we take it for granted, but I still don't. I wake up on Tuesday morning uh, in, in cold sweats going, man, I hope somebody watched our show last night. Are you a review reader? Do you read reviews and read and listen to the podcasts out there that, that talk about Bachelor? I don't. Not I really don't read any reviews or, or listen to anything only because, you know, I already know everything. But what I am a student of is numbers. I get up every day and I check out the ratings even when my show's not on just so I know what else is out there what the trends are what a good number is I've done that every day since I started this job uh Mike Fleiss the creator of the show got me into the numbers and and really kind of taught me the trends and um so I'm I'm psycho about the numbers and the stats and and all of that and uh I I just I don't think people at home totally understand how psycho everybody on TV is like you are awesome at your job you've done it forever yet we all still have this panic that one day we're going to get fired or people are going to hate us why is that what, what's going on with us I you know I, I'm not sure I, I think it's a good way to live I've often thought what would be 
better or easier? Would you like to have a job where you're just kind of cruising along for 20 or 30 years? And, um, or having this feeling like you're an athlete, I, I think of just knowing not only that you could be fired, but that you will be fired no matter what movie, what television show, even the bachelor, you know, someday we'll have a shelf life and you know that you're going to be let go. You know, I did millionaire for four years and it's come and gone. I've done other shows. So, you know, I kind of like that walking the tightrope, so to speak, and, and knowing it could all go away. It's been, um, it's been an interesting way to live my adult life. I don't know if you feel the same way, um, but I think it just gives you that hunger and that drive that you're always, I guess, a little unsatisfied. And so you're always fighting for what's next. Well, there's always somebody younger. There's always somebody that is great on TV and that sure can do your job <laughs> well. That's that's the scary thing is you're is is as I, I was I was talking to somebody the other day and I went, you know, I'm thirty six years old, but I'm gonna snap my fingers and be forty and I'm gonna be forty five and all of a sudden you aren't the young guy doing this anymore and you have to be good or they're going to drop you. That's how th- things work. Yeah, I mean, I started this job, I had just turned 30 years old, and, uh, you know, I have snapped my fingers, and now I am, you know, 48, and moving into, you know, almost our third decade of this show, which is an absolute anomaly and a blessing. If you know television at all, it just doesn't happen like that. You know, this is beyond a home run, but it, it has gone quick, and, and what I realized early on is when you are jealous or when you are envious of other people you got to realize there's, there's room for everybody. There's room for other talent. Uh, if you're not getting work or if you're not getting the breaks, that's not on somebody else. That's on you or that's on the situation that you're in. There's room for other people to succeed as well. And, uh, you know, I learned a long time ago that I, I kind of relish when other reality shows or when other talk shows work or when hosts succeed, because that means other hosts will get jobs. Um, you know, there's this scary kind of trend going on in Hollywood with, hostless shows and talk shows and uh the award shows and i'm like man that's not a good trend for us <laughs> it's like when they have multiple you know that the nba does this thing on on certain nights where they have players only broadcast and i'm like i don't like that broadcast right, exactly. this is like a job i one day want to have i don't want just well, two players up there doing what i can do you've been around you know almost as much as i have uh clearly i'm a little older than you but you know there's always these things are cyclical and, and the pendulum swings and, and it always goes back and forth. You know, it goes from old school the way things are now. And then it's like, Oh, let's try no broadcasters and just go Nat sound up on a football game. And then you realize, no, you know, it's, it's really good when you have, you know, Joe and Troy and those guys in the booth and you, you up there calling the action, it does make a difference. And so it's, it, it all just kind of ebbs and flows and you just have to go with it and wait, wait, you know, for things to come back. Well, I want to go back to your career and where you started because you've had a, a you had a broadcasting career. I mean, you were doing local news and you did some random sporting events, but you're a sports guy. I mean, I'm not sure people know how obsessed you are with sports, how obsessed you are with golf. Can you take us through kind of weave us through how you got to The Bachelor and beyond? Yeah, well, I mean, I started back, you know, it really started in college. I was a soccer player in college. And I, I grew up playing club ball in Dallas and, and had no inkling of what I wanted to do in life other than play some soccer. And I, I was lucky enough to get to college and play 
on a scholarship at Oklahoma City University, and it was great. And that's where I found sports casting. And it was really brought to me by the sports information director who needed a, a student to call the basketball games and be a play-by-play guy. And that's really how I fell into it. And as soon as I did it as a student, I absolutely fell in love with it and realized for the first time, wow, I, I don't really care much about soccer anymore or as much. I really want to do this for my, my life. And it, it was a quick passion of, of mine that I fell in love with. And from there, I got into sports casting and I worked at the CBS affiliate in Oklahoma City and kind of rose through the ranks of, you know, the, the part time guy, then the weekend you know reporter. Then I became the weekend anchor. And um, so I kind of moved through the ranks there in Oklahoma City. And it was a great place to cut my teeth. You know, again, when people ask me, how should I come up in the business? I don't know if it's right for everybody, but I love the fact that I came up in local news where I had to write, edit, produce. I was in the field. I I did it all. I learned how to shoot. I knew everybody's job because you had to do it all. It was, you know, a high level market, but small enough that you you could make mistakes and, you know, really learn the business and learn the craft as as a true journalist before moving on to do everything else. Yeah, and you mentioned you played soccer. I know you're an avid golfer. You're obsessed. I mean, you're a part of the Tiger Jam in Vegas, and I know you've played in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. I know you play about as much golf as you're able to play at this point with kids and a job that that takes you all over the world. How'd you get into golf? When did that start? Well, I always always enjoyed the game of golf and loved it growing up, but I, I honestly, it was a rich kid sport, and we were not rich growing up in Dallas, and I didn't, I wasn't really exposed to it. And when I, but I always loved it and I always watched it and, you know, wanted to play more. And when I got to college, played a little bit. And when I graduated and became a sportscaster, as you know, especially in these local markets, there's coaches, tournaments, you know, I covered a lot of Oklahoma football, Oklahoma State football, and the coaches would have their tournaments. And there were some other charity events that as a sportscaster, I was expected to play in. And quite frankly, I sucked. And I was so bad (laughs) and I was an athlete. So, you know, having that mindset of, okay, I can't be bad at this. I got to figure it out. So I I just honestly wanted to get good enough to where I could go to these tournaments and not make a complete fool of myself. And when you start going down that rabbit hole, as you know, because you love the game as much as I do, all of a sudden you're, you're an addict and you're like, okay, I'm in. And so then it became beyond a passion and while I was a sportscaster the great thing is you get to play some awesome you know awesome courses there in Oklahoma and started covering major events because the I was there in 94 when the PGA championship came through uh Southern Hills and Tulsa the tour championship was there so we in you know the Oak Tree Boys I grew up and was sportscasting during the time of Bob Tway David Edwards Scott Verplank Dr. Gil Morgan was kind of wrapping up his career so I got to cover all these guys, and they were hugely successful on the tour. So it was a fun time to be around Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, th- those guys had a run in collegiate and amateur golf that, I mean, they would be up next to just about any good college team. I mean, I can only yeah. imagine that in that state doing that, it was probably like having on a lighter level that USC team with Leinert and Reggie because I'm sure everybody focused on everything they did and wanted to see what their results were. Yeah, and, and at the time, too, you know, you mentioned – the college golf, we were covering a lot of Oklahoma State. Uh, it was the time they were actually just finishing up their course, Karsten Creek at the time. I was there when they finished it. Um, and Oklahoma, you know, had a great golf program. So it was fun to be around. Again, it just more exposure to the game, played a bunch. And, uh, you know, you never 
dream as as a kid, even as a sportscaster. I never thought I would end up in Hollywood and and heaven forbid end up playing in the AT and T or any of these other <laughs> big, you know, being on the stage hosting, you know, Tiger Jam with Tiger and getting to know him. Those things, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me, and it never it never doesn't give me goosebumps when I walk off that first tee. And and I still have that feeling. Why am I here? Like, why are they allowing me? I'm I'm a 48 year old man. I still have the feeling like I'm eight years old and I just stole a candy bar. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a debate that happens consistently, a heated debate, if you will, <laughs> about the best president golfer ever. You know, you've heard JFK right. and you know Obama wasn't great, and Trump I've heard is a lot better than you'd expect him to be. But here's the debate I want to ask you: Who is the best? bachelor or bachelorette for that matter golfer ever which which person came into that role that had the most game well i'm going to say i'm and i'm going to i'm going to kind of bring this in so it's not just contestants ever because we've had some actually i think pro golfers you know people that played on the tour that were a part of like the the group you know say the one of 25 or the one of 30 but actual the bachelor or the bachelorette um as of late God, probably, I think probably Ben Higgins off the top of my head is probably the best. Andrew Firestone is pretty good. Um, I, ju- I just took Pete out. Uh, we actually just took him down to Callaway and got him set up with clubs and all that. But I also saw his swing. He's not great, but he's starting to love the game and getting into it. Um, but Ben Higgins is kind of getting into it. He played in Tahoe in that celebrity event. I think he's at the Diamond Resorts event uh, this week, so he's really kind of a diehard golfer, and his game's getting better. So right now I'd probably say Ben Higgins. Hey, you got to push all of these people to have more golf dates. I feel like that's the one thing missing. Now, I know you have dedicated Bachelor in Paradise to a little bit of a tip of the cap to golf, but I feel like it. it's like no putt-putt. I mean, I know I've, I've probably – my wife and I have watched Bachelor – and it's, I mean, it we literally have a is our putt putt set up on, uh, on episode one in the driveway, you know, cause he was hitting to the window. That's right. That's right. Okay. So there you go. I, I just, I feel like a top golf date or something like that. You know, I, the one bone I ever have to pick with the bachelor and, and, and I know you're probably not the person to present this to <laughs> is just once I, I mean, now mind you, you have the budget for this and anybody on the show wants to do the craziest date ever, but just once I like. Go to Top Golf for three hours and let's see how the interaction is. You know, it's not going to make the best TV, mind you, but I feel like that would be a regular first date is to go and you have to sit face to face and talk over nachos and a beer. And, you know, that <laughs> that's that would be a very interesting thing to see two people that have never met have to do. And then you get to see a couple golf swings. Yeah, people have always said, why don't you guys do regular things for dates like we do? Like, just go to dinner and go see a movie. And I'm like, well, this is television, you realize. You know, right, not, right. Yeah, that, that, that's like our sad life. That's our regular sad life. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> sitting at home watching TV by yourself on a Wednesday night. Like, that's, that's what we're trying to avoid on the show. Um, but we've had a few golf dates over the years, and we've had some spectacular golf courses. And the funny thing is, you know, the, the actual playing of golf never really translates. I, I forget let's, the, the course, uh, La Costa, we were down at La Costa and we took over the entire course, that championship course. And I was down there and they ended up, they were on the range. We shut down the entire course. And so I just went out and played. I had the place to myself. I, I ended up playing like 36 that day because they never made it to the course. They just goofed around on the range and were doing all that stuff because golf's not exactly the most interactive as far as, 
date material on TV. So it was really funny. The one time we did try to do it and we took over a course, I was the only one that got to play. Yeah, unless you're having a, a situation where uh, where, where there's uh, like somebody's getting hit with a golf ball or something, it's probably not going to make for unbelievable TV. Now, as much as much push as you have in the bachelor world, and I know you travel a lot, my friend. Are you ever yeah. like, hey, Scotland would be a pretty cool spot to go for you know maybe three or four days this year for this season? Well, we did Northern Ireland. Uh, we did do Scotland. And uh, we, you know, we have hit some pretty spectacular golf areas. Uh, even, you know, the, the, the cool thing for me is we've been over in Asia. It's going to some of these random places, um, even, even in Iowa. And I remember playing, we were like golf club of Iowa, just stumbling upon some of these local <laughs> courses, whether I'm in Vietnam, Thailand, uh, you name it. Um, what, where'd they play? I forget. Uh, uh, Nimicolin. We were in Nimico, and that's where they used to play the Lumber 84 Classic or whatever Yeah, it was. yeah, yeah. I think John and Daly they, won that event one time. Exactly. <laughs> and so places like that we've stumbled upon, and they have a golf course. And, and I, you know, again, I'm usually the only one that can go out and play because they're working. But it's been pretty cool to stumble upon some of these local uh, local tracks. All right, here's a question that I'm gonna you're gonna have to really uh, press the brain on. Which <laughs> professional golfer currently, current professional golfer, I'll, you can throw in in the back end a historical figure, but which pro golfer on the tour right now do you think would make the best bachelor, a la Jesse Palmer? Oh man! Um, first of all, we got to figure out someone who's single. Uh, I think well, I and that's Adam and listen. I'm, nobody's going to fault got, you if you Adam say someone that's got a girlfriend. I I understand it's not easy to keep up with the personal lives of everybody on tour. Yeah, like I was trying to think, like who's who's single. You know who'd be good because uh, he's a little bit crazy and controversial, and would be good TV is DeChambeau. He would be awesome. He would be good TV because uh, you know he's a little bit of a of a Hannah type where you're going to get it all. Uh, good guy. <laughs> You know, clearly has the skills, but he's going to be a he's going to be a mess. He's going to be the guy that's crying for sure. And and you know he's going to have these conversations like the first night with about twelve women that are going to be. It's going to be the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. It's going to be words that have never been spoken in Bachelor <laughs> history. And he might not know what he's talking about. They're not going to know what they're talking about. And you're just going to be watching glued to the television. I think that would be pretty good. I was trying to think who else would be good TV because that's the thing. You know, I, well, he's married. Yeah, yeah. Sergio would have been good in the day too. Um, Ricky would have been great too. Obviously, married oh, now. Rick I, you know what? You awesome. have the answer. I think Bryson's the answer. This is this is actually something I might push for. By the way, at some point during the U.S. Open broadcast this year, I'm going to go. You know, this guy at times has been compared to Hannah <laughs> of the of, of Bachelor <laughs> Nation, and just see if my producer notices it. Yeah, as as controversial as as Hannah is sometimes, and, but as at times you love them, and at times you're like trying to figure them out and, and understand what they're saying. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. So the Bachelor has, you know, you you talked to start about how you you know you wake up on Tuesdays and you hope it's going well. Well, you know, it's going well. People are obsessed with it. It does great. It's it's must viewing for just about anybody. What I think is the most unique thing about the show, at least over the last five, six, seven years is this sports crossover that's happening. You know, sports websites, The Ringer, and right. you know, go on down the line, are writing about it all the time. Podcasts are talking about it. Sports podcasts are talking about it as well. 
When did that happen, and why do you feel like it happened? Great question. You know, I don't know if there was a a tipping point or a light bulb moment, but at first the show was, you know, kind of quietly appreciated. You know, I I would go to sporting events and the football players would pull me aside and say, hey, you know what, I I watched the show with my girlfriend or, hey, it is kind of a good show, but, you know, no one would want to say it out in daylight and admit it. But then I think the people like Jimmy Kimmel, Howard Stern, um, more and more celebrities really started embracing it. And then I think it just became cool and it became okay to appreciate and to admit that you love it. Um, you know, I would go, I'm, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys guy because I grew up in Dallas and luckily have gotten to know some of those guys. And, you know, the Tony Romo and a lot of those guys back in the day would text me during the show and ask me questions and, you know, they were watching. <laughs> and so more and more, it was kind of just this groundswell of now it's okay to admit. And now it's, it's amazing. As you said, you know, I'll go on ESPN or I'll go on the ring or I'll go on, you know, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. The athletes that come up and talk about the show. And I love it because, you know, I love the athletes, but if I go to a PGA event and I'm playing in a pro-am, we're typically talking about The Bachelor, and these guys know everything. <laughs> they're, they're asking you questions for the first five holes, and you're like, no, 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 I want to ask you about the Masters. Can I ask you about well, winning the Masters? Well, I mean, that's how, honestly, that's how I got to be so close with Jason Day was his wife, Ellie, is a huge fan of the show, and I met her at the AT&T, you know, several years ago, and, you know, she had, she actually introduced me to Jason, and we talked about the show, and that's honestly the common thread that, that brought us all together, and now we're, we're great friends. But it was the show initially that started it. And, and again, to this day, I'll get text messages or whatever from these guys that you know they're watching the show and how crazy it is. Who's the most famous person that has either come up to you or reached out to you and said, I watch your show? The most wild, and I've had some wild ones, but to me – in the era I grew up in, it was Clint Eastwood. Um, And it it was just the way he did it that kind of blew me away. I mean, obviously Oprah and I think, you know, even I think Obama made a reference about it one time. And so obviously to have a sitting president make a batch of reference is pretty (laughs) insane. Um, But to me, I was in, I was in this bar, uh, where there there was this showcase going on, this Hollywood thing. Um, and Clint Eastwood was there, and Dina, then his wife, introduced me. And, you know, I was in awe because he was standing there, and it really was like Clint Eastwood, white T-shirt, holding a Budweiser. I mean, it was like if you could paint a Clint Eastwood poster, this was the moment. And he looked at me, and in his voice, which I won't try to emulate, said, you know, I watch your show from time to time. And I just... I, I was speechless. I didn't even know what to say. I was actually a little bit disappointed because I kind of just wanted him to punch me in the face. But it was amazing to me that Clint Eastwood, you know, for some reason watches the show from time to time. That's what you need to do. At some point, maybe in about five seasons from now, you need to have like opening night, just little GoPro set up in the famous people that are watching's homes. I'd love to hear the, the Clint Eastwood reaction, you know, when somebody right. comes out of the woodwork and you go, that's what we're getting. This is what Clint thinks. Then I know, you know, obviously Char- Charlize Theron mentioned that she has, she watches the show. She puts her kids down early to, so she can catch it. Um, I know Jennifer Aniston has viewing parties and David Spade and Jimmy Kimmel. And I, I know all these people get together and they all watch the show. And, um, you know, I was, I was on the red carpet. This is back when I was doing TV guide and, um, 
Keith and Nicole Kidman were on the red carpet and Nicole Kidman stops me in the middle of my interview and says, this is just so weird because usually you're in our bedroom when we're watching the show. <laughs> and it, again, it always just gets me. I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess people do love this show and it really does touch people, which is kind of awesome. Does Tiger watch? He has watched. He knows about it. Uh, he's okay. not a diehard. You know, oddly, we've never really gotten into it. So I don't think he's a huge fan, but obviously he knows what it is because, um, you know, we've mentioned it. He'll know he'll know kind of the pop culture version of what's going on. If, if something's gotcha. a big story, he will definitely mention, you know, tell me about what's really going on. Well, I know Pebble Beach is a place that you love. I, I think you you go on a on a guy's trip there every year. Is that something you do annually? I you know I used to. I, I now that I play in the AT and T, that has kind of replaced it as the the guy's trip. And now all my buddies come up, and we all pile in a couple hotel rooms, and we stay for the week, and they come <laughs> out and watch. And you know, while I'm playing, they'll usually go off and play some other uh, other course. But yeah, we used to go up there all my guys from our country club and uh, play in this really cool thing uh, for, for junior golf called the coffee cup. And now it's kind of like a month away from pebble. So we are from the AT&T, but yeah, it's, it's a, to me, it's one of the most magical places in the world. It's just yeah, who, the air, you know, with sweeter, the, the, the place is just, it's a special, special piece of land. Well, and like the Pro-Am is, is such a, a unique event. It, it's it's something that's really, really close in weeks that, you know, people circle all the time in, in hopes of either playing or, or going back to it. How is it for you? Is it one of your favorite weeks of the year? And, and who have you played with over the years in the Pro-Am and, and moments that have kind of stood out? Well, growing up, I, I grew up in Texas. And again, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we didn't travel much. I had never been to California. And so I, I would watch, like everybody else, the old clam bake. And I would watch, you know, the, you know, the stars, Clint Eastwood and all these other huge movie stars on TV and, and the sights and the sounds of Carmel and the ocean. And I just thought, where is this place? You know, this is Shangri-La. This is, I, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine a place like that really existed except for my, you know, garbage television that had four channels. And to step on those grounds just to play personally, but to be in the actual tournament, it just is something that my, you know, my, my eight year old self just can't believe every time I'm there. And so it really is a special week. I circle the calendar every year and hope I get the invite. And luckily the last three years I've been on the list and the first year, I don't think I'll ever top the first year because Jason day was my partner. Um, he was really on a roll then and was in the mix. So we made the cut. And so we're playing on Sunday in the second to last group on Sunday, which, again, makes no sense that I'm playing with Jason Day, <laughs> Steve Stricker, and Troy Merritt in the second to last group at Pebble Beach. Are you trying so hard to just be, just to get out of the way at that point? Because I can, I can imagine that on Thursday, Friday, even probably into Saturday, everybody's having a good time. It's almost like a match play round where – the, right. the front nine, you know, you're kind of chatting and, and, and yucking it up and your buddies. And then once it gets down to it, you know, everybody's kind of going about their business. What's it like on Sunday when you make the cut and your player is in contention? What was your approach to that? Was it any different than the rest of the week? Well, what's, what's really interesting and, and you have to understand is when, they, when you make the cut for Sunday, you're not necessarily with another amateur. They pair the tournament according to who's winning and who might win, obviously, for network TV. And so there might not be another amateur in your group and that was the situation with me so I was the only amateur 
with Jason, who was my partner, because we're still in the mix for our team thing. But then uh, Troy Merritt and Steve Stricker didn't have amateurs. So it was three, obviously, stellar PGA pros and me. It was as if you walked over to your your Muni on a Saturday and said, hey, uh, can you slide me in on just a single? I'm walking. And like, oh, yeah, you know what? We have a 10, 20 tee time. Uh, go, go join those guys over there. And it turns out it's, it's Steve Stricker, Jason Day, and Troy Merritt, and they're at ATZ. It was, it was an insane moment. And I walked up to Steve and Troy. Obviously, Jason and I had been together all weekend and all week. And so I walked up to Steve and Troy and said, hey, guys, look, I'm here to, to just have a great walk with you today. If there's anything I can do, if you want me to pick up, you want me to get out of your way, you know, but I can roll a putt in front of you. So if you want me to roll a putt, let me know. Um, and and I, was, you know, I just want this to be a good day for you guys. But the real interesting thing for me that I learned that day was really the juxtaposition of these guys, of, of Steve Stricker, Hall of Famer. It's not that he didn't care, but there was no pressure on Steve Stricker. Right. And then there's Jason Day, who just wants to win. This guy wants to get in the Hall of Fame and just wants to win tournaments, and that's all that matters. And then there's Troy Merritt, who – had never made the cut, needed to finish in the top 10 so he could then qualify for the Genesis at Riviera the next week. So the spectrum these guys were on and their mentality that day was completely different, and it was really fascinating to watch. Yeah, it, it's always – I've made this point a few times about, you know, Tiger, Phil, any as you, to, to your point, kind of Hall of Fame-type players. And the pressure to win, I'm sure, is always there. But if Tiger is in the final group against a rookie who is trying to establish himself, make money, you know, earn wins, get two more years on tour, it is an absolutely different feeling for those two guys on the first tee. And you're sitting there watching it. That's something that I think is so cool about golf in particular is you get to see at times two people paired together playing for the same goal with completely different mindsets about that goal. Well, Troy Merritt was, you know, and no offense to him, he was trying not to lose. Exactly. Jason Day was taking driver off the deck at 18 because all he cared about was putting pressure on Ted Potter, who was behind us, and he knew he was two strokes back, and he knew Eagle was going to be a game changer. And, you know, Jason Day didn't care about anything else. He didn't care if he fell out of the top ten. He wanted to win. He wants to just get W's and make it into the Hall of Fame and win majors. And, and he has that freewheeling mentality because, you know, in, in all you know, defense to a guy like Troy Merritt, Jason Day has the bank. You know, he has right. that cushion to fall back on. It doesn't matter. Whereas Troy Merritt was coming down 18 going, oh, dear God, you know, I, I need to make it in the top 10 because this is a big check for me. And it's a game changer for these guys. And so I don't know if people, you know, a regular fan watching on Sunday fully appreciates when you guys so eloquently kind of try to articulate hey, you know, it's hard to win and it's hard to learn how to close out a tournament. It's hard to, you know, when to just be a freewheeling guy when so much is on the line for these young men. Um, and yeah. it is a big, it's a big difference when you're a top 10 player and you already have your, you know, invite to the Masters. You already have, you know, there's so much on the line for these guys when they haven't won before. So how is your game right now? Are you play, do you get to play it all right now because you're so busy? You've got to do press. You've got to do stuff like this. Are you getting a chance to get out at all, or, or are you pretty well, much locked in? The AT&T, I, I, to be honest, I played 27 yesterday. Uh, but nice. it, this time of year is actually really good for me because um, you know, we try to shut down around the holidays, and 
things are pretty slow leading up to Pebble Beach. So this tournament is actually really well situated for my life before I get back into the Bachelorette and, and things really explode. Um, it's, it's into spring, into summer, you know, for example, the masters, I've, I haven't been in the United States for the masters in, I don't know, 15 years, maybe 18 years. I, I'm always on the road watching the masters at 4 AM or God knows when, you know, in South Africa <laughs> or Asia or whatever. And I have my devices and I'm trying to, you know, figure it out. And, you know, I, I was on a plane when tiger won and this last one. And I, I had, I was streaming. So I had my iPad up. It's you know middle of the night, you know, how they turn out the lights on the plane, everybody's sleeping. I had like three devices hooked up and I had master's radio and that was streaming good. So I left my radio on, um, through my phone. Then I had my iPad in front of me and I had something else, my computer up and I was trying to stream everything. So at least one of them would capture the moment. And so I'm up like a lunatic. The only guy with his lights on in the middle of the night on this plane with tears in my eyes as Tiger is winning the Masters. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. I actually changed a flight. I was at Augusta. I had an obligation on Saturday night. I was going to fly home real early on Sunday to get home in time, and they moved the tee times because of the weather. And so I had right. to change my flight. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not leaving Augusta if this guy actually has a chance of winning a major because I was, I'll say this, I've said it a lot. I was at the front of the line on this guy will never win again. And I am wrong, and I was happy to be wrong, and I will continue to be happy that I was wrong about that whole take. And uh, and uh, I had to stay. I, I stayed there and, and well, got a it's, chance it's, to see it. it. By the way, it's not an indictment on Tiger or even Dowdy. It was just, I mean, you and I had seen him, and I don't know if people really fully understand it's a miracle he could walk. I mean, I saw him at times when – he couldn't stand up straight. He couldn't sit in a chair and the pain and agony this guy was in, not as a golfer, but as a human being of just, I was worried he wasn't going to live a normal life. The fact that he went and won in Atlanta and won at Augusta, I don't think it's crazy to call it a miracle and, and to, to have been around him a few times. He understands that now too. He gets the, the fact that what happened and the things that had to come into play for him to win, it really was, you know, up there being a miracle. And will he ever win again? And beyond this, I don't know. And I honestly don't even care to have had right. those moments was just, you know, it's what sports is all about. You can't script that again, you know, to take a, a bachelor line, like you can't script that kind of stuff. And that's why we love sports. Um, but you know, you weren't, you weren't, you know, a bad guy to, to think, Hey, this guy's not going to win again because Man, I mean, the guy couldn't even stand up. Well, I mean, I, I was I was on a flight, and I've told this story a couple times. I was on a flight to go to Northern California when he was making that return in Napa, and he pulled out. Uh, I believe he was supposed to play with Steph Curry, and that was the big return. And Fox sent me up there to write a story about it. And mid-flight, I was on the internet, you know, checking some stuff, and comes out the Tiger's not playing again. And that was the time I kind of wrote, you know, this is it. I mean, if he can't play, doesn't feel comfortable playing in Napa, he's probably not going to feel comfortable playing at any big stage at this point. And obviously he's not healthy enough. And you know what? I was wrong. And being wrong is totally okay. Yeah. Anytime yeah. you are, especially for moments like that. I want to ask you a couple more things and I'll let you go. Yeah. One is just, you said you played 27. What's the handicap currently? Um, I am, Pebble usually has me at a, at a 10. 
<clears throat> I think because it's on honestly, it's interesting that this new handicap system, and I have not talked to uh, the tournament committee up there and the, and the folks, you know, how, what they're going to do as far as the handicaps, because obviously the USGA and the system has changed and most of our handicaps have gone up. I don't know if yours has, but mine went up a couple strokes. So I don't know if all of a sudden I'm going to be a, a, an 11 or a 12 out there, but usually they have me at about a 10 and that's about right. That's, that's about, you know, I'm about a 10 or 11, depending on the day. I've seen you hit it. I, I, I think, I think, uh, I think 12 would, you'd be a very, uh, you'd, you'd be a much looked after partner if you were playing. As a 12 I, I would love to be course. a 12 up there. I would, you need that cushion. I mean, uh, you know, it's one thing when you and I are out and you and I had the, the pleasure of playing right before the U S open and, uh, how's your game? What are you a plus three plus four? Oh, I, you know, I, the, you know what? I, I keep shooting somewhere in the 73, 74 range. And for some reason, my handicap doesn't move. I don't really understand why I'm still a plus two, but, uh, I'm hoping <laughs> that at some point it will adjust a little bit because I'd love to be a zero. It'd be amazing not to give shots back, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the purgatory world I'm living in currently in the handicap. You mentioned Pebble. Well, I, I want to well, ask, wait, is there well, a place? Has your, has your handicap changed at all? Did, did, you know, did it, it kind of, it kind of stayed the same. I, I okay. plugged in some scores. I, I had uh, cards. I went to Bandon Dunes with a couple of buddies late last year and, and forgot to plug the scores in. So I plugged those in, and there were a couple of high ones in there uh, in the windy days around Pacific. I was hoping that would do something. It didn't. And then I, I, I shot you know I shot 74 a couple days ago, and it didn't adjust it either. But I feel like the new system is supposed to adjust quicker. So hopefully if anything keeps going north of where I'm supposed to be, my number will get closer and closer to zero. That is at least what I'm what I'm what I'm yeah, banking. So I just want to tell everybody when I'm a 15 up at Pebble next month, uh, not my <laughs> fault. It's just a new- <laughs> there, people are going to be writing the columns about you yeah. when you go out there and win the whole thing. I'm going to pull a Larry Fitzgerald. I'm going to win this thing by 30 strokes. <laughs> so, last question is. Is there a place you haven't gone golf wise that you want to go? Is there a course yes. you haven't played or a or a destination that you want to take some friends that you've never seen before? Uh, two places, I, and I'll add three. But um, Tar Edie uh, over in New Zealand, um, and uh, I've had an opportunity to go. I just haven't been able to make it. But uh, Tar Edie in New Zealand is now number two in the world uh, outside of the United States. I think number four in the world overall including the U.S., and from what I've heard from friends, it is just spectacular and an incredible experience. And so I want to get over to New Zealand and do Tahiti. Um, but I've never done the old course. I've never done St. Andrews, and my friends all just went from the club and did a big trip. And, again, another place where I've been invited, and I've had opportunities. I just haven't had the chance to actually pull it off. But um, clearly, you know, I'm, I know you've probably played it a dozen times, but I've never been over – to the old course of all the places that I've, I've played and I've had, I've had the unbelievable honor of playing Augusta uh, in, you know, Pine Valley and Sage and some of these other places in the United States. But um, yeah, I've never, never been over to the old course and that's obviously on the bucket list. I mean, Chris, you're, you're famous, man. You're, you're a famous guy. I, I got to say it. You, you could get into the Alfred Dunhill. Just, you got to send the note to somebody. I, well, my, I, I mean, you know, I could write it. I could write the draft for you. The Dunhill is right in the middle, and I believe it's October, uh, and it's right in the middle of bachelor <laughs> shooting. And I'm always, again, it's kind of like going to the Masters. I've actually had the incredible honor of playing Augusta, but I've never been to the Masters because I'm always on the road. And I get invited, and I have amazing you know, opportunities to go have Berkman's passes and have a house and all of this stuff, and I always have to decline. And it's just, I'm sitting there somewhere at 4 in the morning 
in my pajamas <laughs> seething and, and knowing all my friends are there and I'm not there. Um, but then again, you have to think, well, I'm pretty blessed because I have a damn good job. That's exactly right. All right, last question since you just said it. This was going to be my first question, but we got uh-huh. into some other stuff. What's the worst part of your job? What's the part of your job? And and, and you know what? I'm not going to give you this right. easy out. Travel, you can't say. You can't say on the road. Well, because I was going to say, well, the problem is, I was going to say the greatest thing about my job is also probably the worst because of being a dad and having to be away and the travel and just being on the road is, is, and it wasn't, it didn't used to be like that, but I'll admit the older I get, the it's a bit of a beating, <laughs> as you know, being <laughs> constantly on planes and, and traveling around the world. But at the same time, it is an absolute blessing because I did not travel much when I was, when I was a young man, but um, if I can't have travel, man, probably the hours now of, you know, when we shoot, we shoot in, in some ungodly hours. I don't know if you watched the entire first episode, but you might like notice eight a.m. or ten a.m. Yeah, you might notice the sun is up now when we do that final <laughs> rose ceremony, and that not, that didn't used to be the case. It used to be we had this you know idea of continuity, and we start at night, we're going to end at night. Now we're just somehow we broke into you know, dawn. And then we thought, well, if we're already shooting with the sun coming up, screw it. Why not just keep going until, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. So it's a little depressing when you come home and your kids are going to school and uh, you're just laying down to take a quick nap before you got to go back to work. But the hours are a lot tougher than they used to be. I'll admit. I'm assuming you're getting touched up at about four and 5 a.m. Whenever whenever you've got the bags under your eyes. When I was 29, 30, 31 years old and you know, we would shoot all night and I was up all night and I, you know, let's go. And I was all fired up and had the adrenaline going. Now I, I will admit that somewhere in the night I go take a, a quick nap and there's some poor intern that has to wake me up and like, Mr. Harrison, we, you know, we got to go, we got to you know, be on something. Oh, okay. so, yeah. There's, there's uh, definitely some touching up going on at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning as you got to get back on camera. Absolutely. I, I, uh, when we had the U.S. Open at Oakmont, there was a weather delay, and it was kind of throughout the week, so the schedule screwed up, you know, and so that we were having guys had to come out and finish the rounds early in the mornings, and then there would be a big gap, and at that U.S. Open, I was doing the interviews, and so Sunday morning, which obviously is Championship Sunday, you know, this is going to be the day we're right. running a champion, I'm going to be talking to people that either won or lost the U.S. Open, you know, I had to be there at about 6 a.m. because I think Dustin was finishing his round and a couple of the other guys that were in the hunt, Shane Lowry, and I did those interviews at, you know, say 8.30 or 9, and I actually went into the sauna at Oakmont, which had been converted into basically a storage shed. It took like a two-and-a-half-hour right. nap, and I said, nobody <laughs> nobody in Oakmont in membership will ever know that that sauna was right. a place for sleep for a little bit. Isn't it funny, though? There are places like that. I always laugh about like places I have taken naps or had to just sleep, you know, closets or the back, you know, and I always just laugh and, and you know, it never, you know, you're, you're with crew members or whatever, when we're all just trying to grab a moment to shut things down because, you know, we do work our butts off all around the world. And you're tired and hot and dehydrated or whatever. And you just laugh. You look around like if, any, if people could only see us now, you know, sleeping in the back of a truck or sleeping in this closet or in a sauna at Oakmont, like this is what we do. It's, you know, this is the glamorous life. Yeah, this is the beauty that so my uh, my my wife's parents came to the women's am in San Diego, and you know, for people that don't know what a TV compound looks like for a sporting event, it's just trailer after trailer after trailer, truck after truck after truck, and it's basically finding 
you know, any land that can hold all of this stuff. So it's usually right. somewhere around the, around the golf course, but it's definitely not glamorous. That would be the term you would not use to describe right. what it looks like. And, uh, and, and, and my wife's mom had a comment after said, I thought it, thought it might be a little, a little nicer than that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. our truck's nice and the production room's nice, but you know, it's kind of a dirt area where all the trailers are parked. As I always tell people, everything in front of the camera is beautiful. Everything behind it, not so much. <laughs> well, Chris, I appreciate the time. Last year, you were hosting Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller, a podcast that was great, a great listen. Are you guys going to keep that going in 2020? Well, I'm actually, oddly, uh, you mentioned, because I've, I've been talking to Callaway. They want to do it. Uh, it's, it's probably not going to be with Johnny. It's, uh, we're debating on, you know, kind of rotating it through the kind of Callaway uh, list of stars and have different uh, golfers each week. But I want to do it, and they still want to do it. We just have to figure out, um, you know, how Callaway wants to approach it. But I loved it. Uh, you know, as you know, I could sit here and talk golf all day. It's uh, my passion. I'm doing it anyway. And it's, it's fun to actually just do a passion project like that. So hopefully so. Okay, well, we'll keep our eye out for it, and, uh, and when it comes up, whoever it comes up with, we'll, uh, we'll send it out on our channels as well. That's Chris Harrison. Watch The Bachelor. It's great TV. And watch the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. He might win this year if he's a 14 handicap. Wyndham Clark. Keep an eye on Wyndham Clark. That's, that's my parts this year. Wyndham Clark and Chris Harrison. I feel like that sounds like a champion. You get your name right there by the first tee if you ever win it. That would be an accomplishment. Right? Could you imagine that? Well, Wyndham, Wyndham and I were in the same group last year and, uh, and became friends. He played with Joe Don Rooney, and Joe Don had to move on and play with Kevin Chappell. So, uh, Dub and I have teamed up, and uh, he's he's a tough tough beat there at uh, Pebble. He loves that track. That'll be fun. I'm excited to watch. Thanks again. I appreciate the time. All right, Shane. Take care, bud. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. A big thanks to Chris Harrison for jumping on and chatting. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thought it was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy as well. If you're a fan of the podcast, do us a favor. Go on iTunes. Write a review. Give us five stars. You can give us four stars if you want. Four stars is great. I, to me, four stars is an A. If I had A's all the way through my life, I'd probably be doing something way more advanced than something like a golf podcast, but maybe not nearly as much fun. Thanks so much for always listening and for hanging in there with us. We will be back soon with a new guest. Have a great week. Get out and play a little bit of golf, and we'll check in with you soon. <laughs>